Well, a while ago, I was listening to a sermon that opened my eyes that I was reading some of the Bible in like Sunday school version. And what I mean by that is the stories that I learned in Sunday school and the way that they were depicted to me, like when I read them in the Bible, that I would kind of read them like I learned them when I was three years old. And so I'll, I'll tell you just a couple, David and Goliath, how, who, like how did David kill Goliath? Like with a stone, right? He went to the brook and he picked up the five stones and he like slung them and he charged. That, that's not actually how David killed Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, 51, this way I can prove it to you. It says, therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. I mean, it's not probably something, I get it, that you want to teach a, a three-year-old that decapitation in the Bible. But, but for the longest time, I thought that David killed Goliath with a stone. But really, that just stunned him and knocked him down, get down to 15-year-old David's level so that he can take his sword and cut off his head. How about Moses? How did the Red Sea get parted? Like, for me, in the movies or whatever, it's like Moses raised his hand and <laughs> the Red Sea parted, right? Uh, no, let's read in Exodus 14, 21. It said, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. It was a totally different picture that I had. Like, really, when Moses stretched out his hand, the wind started, and then all night long, the sea was part. Did you guys know that? Okay, it was just me. And so anyway, um, what I realized as I'm learning these things is that the more I spend time digging into the word of God, the more I learn. It kind of reminds me, because I get these weird pictures in my head when I think of things, of like walking up to a house, and you see this house, and it looks really normal on the outside. And, and so you walk in this normal-looking house, and you realize as soon as you walk into the entryway, it's like, whoa, that, that, this is quite a bit bigger than what it looks like from the outside. And as you're kind of searching through this room, there's all these things to see, and there's so many things to read and discover about the family that lives there. But if you look, there's doors all along the side of the wall that you can walk through. And each door has something unique about that family's life. But as you walk into that door, you realize there are more doors that go deeper and tell more of the story of this family. And while this is a really poor analogy about the word of God, that's kind of what I feel like when I read the word of God. From the outside, this looks like a normal book. It's just a book, right? But if you, if you open this book and you start to realize, read and you see the wisdom that's in this book, you start to go like, wow, this isn't just like a normal book. This isn't just a story. There's actually 66 books in here, and there's so much wisdom. But the more I study each scripture in each verse, the more I study the words, I realize I can spend my entire life reading this book and never actually glean even a small portion of the depth of wisdom that is in this book. God is always calling us to something more. He is always calling us up. He's always calling us to a deeper revelation of who he is. And so today I want to talk to you about two stories in the Bible most of you have probably heard. And my intent is not to tell you all the specifics and all the details and give you all of the revelation of these stories, but it's in hopes to inspire you to go just a little deeper. It's, it's to call you just a little higher. It's to hopefully 
touch your heart in a way that makes you want to go to this book in a new and fresh way and dig more out of it. And so the title of my message is Upward Call. So before we dig in, let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the depths that we can spend our whole life searching, Lord God, and know that there is so much more to who you are, so much more to your wisdom, so much more to your provision, so much more to your love, Lord God. Today, I pray that you would just start to stir our heart, that you would inspire us for something greater and something more, to where when we leave today, we have more of a hunger to dig deeper into you than what we came in with. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk to you about two stories, and they span about a day and a half to two days of Jesus' life. And they're the stories of when Jesus fed the 5,000, which was really more like 15,000. You guys know that, right? Because the Bible says it was 5,000 men plus women and children. And so I figure an average family, that probably makes about 15,000. If you're taking it on my family, it's way more than that. Um, but so 15,000 plus, we'll say. And then it's the story of when Peter walked on water. And so when this story sets up, the disciples were sent out. They were ministering. Jesus gave them power over demons, power over sicknesses and diseases. They were coming back, and they were telling Jesus what was going on. And so I'm picturing this gathering where, like, Peter's going, Jesus, listen, you know, I came up to this woman, and she had this demon, and when I prayed for her, the demon left, and he's so excited, and he's telling Jesus the story, and then John's like, wait, 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 I got a better one. There was this person who was lame, and, and they were lame forever, and I prayed over them, and they got up, and they walked, and the disciples are telling Jesus all of these stories, and they're celebrating what God was doing through them that they have never seen before, and at this same time, they get word that John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And so as a human, you kind of go through this, you're celebrating and you're excited, and then you hear this devastating news. And I don't know if you're like me, sometimes I kind of get this picture of Jesus that he like, when he walked on the earth, he knew everything and he kind of had, he operated different than what I would operate, but really he was 100% man. And so he walked this life much like we walk this life. There's some things that God revealed to him in advance, but there's some things that caught him by surprise. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been 100% man. And it seems like in this story that maybe this news of John the Baptist being beheaded wasn't something that he already knew. That's why he's like, wow. Like, it must have hit him because Jesus loved John the Baptist. And so we see that he, he kind of gets up from there, and he's like, I'm going to go to a remote place with my disciples, and I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go take this before the Lord. All of these emotions of celebration and, and seeing so much happen, but at the same time, my friend, my cousin, who was just beheaded because he stood up against a great sin in the political leaders' lives. And so Jesus gets onto a boat with the disciples, and he tries to get away to pray. He gets over to the other side, but the Bible says that the people started coming on foot around the Sea of Galilee, which if you've ever been there, it's really not a sea. It's more kind of like a small lake. Um, and so the people were walking around, and they meet him on the other side. And this is where this 5,000 men plus women and children, this is where they are, and Jesus gets off the boat. Now, if, if I was Jesus, I would be like, come on, guys, I am so tired. Like, all this stuff has been happening. I'm emotionally exhausted, and I am intent on going to pray. But the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion 
when he saw them. And in Mark 6, 34, it says that he saw that they were as sheep with no shepherd. And so Jesus decides, I'm going I'm to be there for these people. I'm going to spend the day, and I'm going to heal their sick, and I'm going to teach them, and I'm going to, like, cast out demons, and I'm going to take care of them, and I'm going to spend my day doing this. And I kind of think of these people that were there all day. Uh, they, they had no chairs, so they sat on the ground. And there was no air conditioning, and this was in a deserted place in the desert. And they had no food. And so, unlike many of us, when they went to go and hear Jesus, they, there was not the comforts that we normally have, but there was something that was happening because they spent all day there with their kids. Now, their kids must have been different than my kids. because I, I'm telling you, because my kids, there is no way they would have sat all day, not, not my older, my, my other kids, um, would have sat all day in a deserted place, and here's the kicker, with no food. Like, everything else they probably would have been okay with, but with no food, I don't know that my kids could have made it. But they were all there because something amazing was happening in these people's lives. And then it said, after this whole day of this, when the disciples recognized that it was coming, you know, evening, the day was ending, they came to Jesus, and they were like, hey, Jesus, so um, the day's kind of coming to an end, and so we need to send these people home. Like, they need to go get food. If, if we don't hurry up and send them home, then the shops are going to be closed, and they're not going to be able to get food for the day, and they're hungry. And so I'm kind of thinking at this moment, like, they were just casting out demons. Like, this day, earlier on this day, they were casting out demons themselves because Jesus gave them the power. They were, they were healing the sick. They were doing all this stuff, and now they're freaking out about food. But see, we have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. They didn't. And so they were saying, like, I know, Jesus, you can cast out demons, and I know you can open blind eyes, and I know you can cause the lame to walk. But this food thing, we got to send them into the town. And Jesus responded much like Jesus did, well, you feed them. And they were like, okay, Jesus, like, we have five loaves, five, and two fish, and, like, 15,000 people. There's no way we're going to be able to feed these people, and Jesus said, okay, okay, just have them sit in groups of 50, bring me what you have, and then Jesus blessed it, and he distributed it to the disciples who distributed it to the people. You guys know the story, everybody was full, there were 12 baskets left over, and this great miracle had happened. Jesus had fed them bread miraculously, similar to God feeding the Israelites bread with manna, in the wilderness. Jesus is the bread of life. And so Jesus was doing something in this moment. He was calling because there was this common thought process that the Messiah, when he came, would actually restore the manna from heaven. And so the people, what they were seeing, they weren't just getting their bellies full this day. Jesus was speaking to something that was in their heart. He was stirring their heart to something that they had felt and they had believed. But, but then we're going to read this scripture and it's in Matthew 22, starting in Matthew 14, 22. And it says, then after that, immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. So, like, what's going on here? I, I, when I read that, Jesus here, all this had happened. And instead of staying here and celebrating, Jesus was like, no, 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 we got to go. Well, God was stirring their heart, but he knew that there was something that was happening then, even though 
God was stirring. They were wanting to do something on their own. I remember when I was young, I would dream about what my family would be like. How many of you have done that? Like you were young and you kind of planned out your whole family life. I'm a big planner. And so I had it all planned out. I was going to get married at 18. I was going to have five kids. There was going to be four boys and one girl. That was the way it was absolutely going to happen. It was going to be two and then girl and then two. I had their names picked out. I was going to um, rehab houses and sell them and have rental properties because I was absolutely not going to work for anybody else. I saw my parents do that. It did not seem fun. And so this was my life. And when 18 came... And, um, you know, there was no guy on the scene. It was like, hey, what, what's going on, God? Yeah, I mean, Matt didn't show up until I was 21. And so God was a little late on my plan. Um, but I figured that I was going to get married at 23. Took him about that long to get with the program and figure it out and ask me to marry him. Um, and then I, we're going to have kids right away, right? Because this was the plan. It was just a little bit more delayed than what I had thought. But that didn't happen right away either. And we struggled trying to get pregnant. And so I try to take matters into my own hands, and so I posted scriptures like Matthew 22, or 21, verses 21 and 22, that said, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will have whatever you receive and ask for in prayer. And so, like, I was sure that I had no doubt, and I believed that I was going to have this family my way, and that if I just continued to stand on this scripture, it was going to happen exactly the way I thought. And God was saying, like, I stirred something in your heart. There was something of me that I put in there. You, you are going to have a big family, obviously, because I do, um, but it's not in your timing, and it's not in your way. And so that was what was happening in this people. God really was stirring something in their heart, but they were trying to take it into their own hands because they were trying to make Jesus king. There was this murmuring, hey, this is the Messiah. We see him miraculously bringing bread. He's restoring the manna from heaven, and so we're going to make him king. But I often think, once I've read this story, like what would have happened if they would have made Jesus king on that day? we probably wouldn't have the cross today. And while their physical needs would have been taken care of, maybe they would have had bread for a lifetime. Maybe they would have had a king. Maybe they even would have been taken out of Roman oppression, but their spiritual state would have stayed the same. And Jesus was like, no, 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 don't take it into your own hands. Let me work out what I'm stirring in your heart because I see something so much greater than you. What is God stirring in your heart that maybe you're trying to make happen in your own timing? Maybe you're putting your hands on it, and instead of allowing God to open the doors, you're trying to bust through some. Maybe you're like me, and you, you, God put something in your heart, and you have your own plan, and God's like, now I have to undo your plan <laughs> to get you to a place where you let me work my plan through your life. Let's go back to that verse in Matthew 14, verses 22. It said, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. They were reluctant to go. They were, they were reluctant. He had to make them get in the boat because they were getting caught up in this hype of what was going on also. And it said that he sent the multitudes away and then he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. So again, remembering that Jesus was human 
and that he was tempted by flesh, tempted by Satan, just like we are, I can imagine that there was something that his flesh was trying to say, like, you can be king now, maybe you can avoid the cross. Like, he had to get to the Father, and he had to recenter himself through prayer. He had to rehear the Father's voice, just like we do, even more so. Okay, God, I see what you're doing in my heart. Let me come to you, and you tell me your plan. Before I create my plan, you tell me your plan, because I want to do it your way. I don't want to do it my way. If we continue reading, it says, Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat that he had sent the disciples in was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So I have a couple questions here. Like one, why did Jesus walk on the sea? Like if the people walked around to meet him, why didn't he just walk around? I don't know. It's just a weird question that I have. But also the fourth watch of the night is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Who has our fourth watch during prayer? There was a few of you. Okay, so this, this is, you, you can maybe meet Jesus as he's walking on the water um, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And I always pictured in Bible time, like there's no electricity, uh, there's no electronics, there's no TV. What are they doing at 3 a.m. in the morning? But here the disciples are out in a boat and Jesus is walking on the water. If we keep reading, it says, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Uh, yeah, I would have too. No commentary necessary. Uh, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. And so here in this moment, Jesus was revealing a new revelation of who he was. They're seeing that Jesus is the one who walks on water. See, they didn't have the story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water like we do. This is the first time that this has ever happened. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm the one that defies natural laws. I'm the one who can walk on water when most people sink. If we keep reading, it says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. And so he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter was responding to something that was stirring in his heart. He was saying, man, there's something that I've seen of you when you fed the 5,000. There's something that's happening. There's something that you're stirring. And so I just, like, if that's really you, tell me to come. Do you know that Jesus always responds to us? He always calls us higher when we respond to the stirring that he's doing in our hearts. He'll call us out of the boat of the known into the unknown. He'll call our faith upward, and he calls us to step out of fear and out of doubt. It reminds me of when we bought our first building, and I know some of you may know the story, some of you may not, but we had just launched out as an independent church after being a campus. And when that happened, we started from ground zero. There was nothing. Well, some people. But there was no money. There was no resources. There was nothing. And it was this moment where it was kind of like, all right, so now it's all on us. Like, there's a lot of safety in being a campus, or at least it felt like. But when you step out into being on your own, I remember asking Matt several times, like, who, who, who tells us if we're doing it right or wrong? Like, we had senior pastors that used to tell us that. Like, who now is telling us if we're doing it right or wrong? And, you know, my wife's husband and, and your wife's pastor said, um, Jesus. 
Oh, yeah, that, yeah, Jesus, that's right. You know, I, I, but anyway, so there's this moment where we started looking around at the building we were renting, and it was like, man, wouldn't it be cool if this became our building? Like, wouldn't it be really awesome if this is a building that, you know, one day is ours? And so Matt, <clears throat> and this is just who he is, he was like, why don't I just ask the pastor? Like, it's something that's kind of thought about and stuck around for a while. I'm just going to ask him, like, what are, what are your plans for this building? Are you staying here, moving on, you know, whatever? And so he asked the pastor, I think it was three months after we became an independent campus. So three months after we started with nothing, he had asked this pastor, hey, like, so what's the plans uh, with the building here? And the pastor didn't say much. Um, he was like, oh, that's interesting. And, you know, he w- they were a denomination, and so he probably didn't have privy to say very much information. And I think it was about six months after that, he came back to us, and he was like, so when you asked that, were you serious? And Matt was like, um, well, uh, I mean, yeah, we, we are serious. What does that mean? And so we started to walk through a process of buying the building for uh, an incredible price. The denomination just wanted to basically get out from under the note that it was on. And we stepped into this place of the unknown. But what it did, what God did is he stirred something in our heart. And we had to say, God, if that's you, tell us to come. God, if it's you, like, we'll go. Because imagine, if Matt would have had that conversation with this pastor, like, there would have, what if he got mad? What if he was like, what are you asking? Now you want my building? We're letting, like there could have been so many bad things that happened with that conversation. But we said, God, we think this is you. And so we're going to say, God, if it's you, call us, tell us to come. Isaiah 43, 18 through 21 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. Do you know that God is always doing a new thing? He always wants to do a new thing in your life. Your your day, if you're breathing, your, your days ahead of you are meant to be greater than the days behind you. It doesn't matter how much you've accomplished. There's no like old glory days unless you choose it to be. Because God's plans for you is always for a greater future and a greater hope and more impact and more blessing all the time. But he does it by stirring things in our heart and saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you come to me? Will you ask me to call you out? Job 8, 7 says, though your beginning was small, your latter end would increase abundantly. That's God's promise for his children. What boat is or has Jesus been calling you out of? What has he been stirring in your heart to leave in something new that he's asking you to step into? If we continue reading in Matthew 14, verse 30, it says that when he, Peter, saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and was beginning to sink. And so here in this moment, Peter had a lot of faith and he was like, Lord, if that's you, call me to come. And Jesus said, come, and he got down out of the boat. That took a lot of faith to step on the water. That would be scary. And he started walking on the water, but then he started to look around. And he started to see what was happening around him. And when he took his eyes off Jesus and he started looking at circumstances, it says that he started to sink. In Hebrews 12, verses 2 through 4, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such oppression from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus will sustain us if we keep our eyes fixed on him. He will sustain us through whatever storm, whatever wind, whatever circumstances going on. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Like, I love that he is the author, but I love even more that he is the finisher. That he is the one that will walk me through. That he says, it doesn't matter what the circumstances look around. If I am with you, you will be okay. You will have everything you need. The wind can't take you down if I am with you. You won't sink in the water if I am calling you. But you have to keep your eyes fixed on me and not on the circumstances around you. The temptation over these last seven, eight years to grow weary, knowing that God opened the door with the building and so many other things, but then there's been so many things that we've walked through along the way, like COVID, you know, um, that there was a lot of like, are we, did we really step into ministry at the right time? Like during COVID when they're shutting down churches and, you know, all the fears that come, will they ever open up again? Will church ever be the same? I hope not, but I hope it's better. Um, things like broken marriages, that you've counseled, and you've spent time with, and you've loved these people, but then they separated anyway, or people that you started to do life with, and, and then they pass away, and you've loved them, and it hurt. There are a lot of things in this calling that Jesus has called us to that we have had to keep our eyes fixed on him instead of the circumstances around us, because when marriages fall apart, and you've poured everything you have into it, you, the temptation to say, did I mess up? Should they have went to someone else? Am I really in the right place? Like, if I'm being real with you, those, those thoughts and fears, they do come. But we have to go back to, no, Jesus called us. No, we're going to set our eyes on him. And if we keep our eyes on him, the day we're supposed to leave ministry, if ever, he will be the one to lead us out. It will not be our fears. It will not be what we see as failures. It will be him that leads us out because he is the one that sustains us. And I know that it's the same for all of you, for whatever that you've said yes to. If you've said yes to a godly marriage that stands out and shows Jesus' light, there are going to be winds and storms that are going to try to rob you of that calling. If you've said yes to godly parenting, in this world today, you do look different, I promise you. And there are going to be a lot of things that are going to try to say that you are failing, you are doing it wrong, you should do it a different way. But we have to keep our eyes set on Jesus. If you have a new business or ministry, it's all the same. Our eyes have to stay fixed on Jesus because circumstances will come that will try to pull us away. That will try to say, look at the storm. Look at the things around. You must not be doing it the right way. If we keep reading... Peter started to sink, and it said that he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Jesus rescues. He rescues us. We want to never be in a place to need rescuing, right? Like, I want to walk through life and never actually need it. Like, I love that he is my rescuer, but if I never have to utilize that, that would be wonderful. Um, or if I do, it's kind of like a little wind, and he saves me. But that, that's not often how it happens. Jesus wants to rescue us from the doubt in our heart, not really from the wind. The wind's not a big deal for Jesus. He wants to rescue us from our fear. Because, you know, provision and all of that stuff, that, that's so easy 
for God, what he wants to rescue us from is the bondage and the things in our life that are weighing us down and keeping us from seeing him for who he is. He wants to open the door to a conversation that will begin the process of growth and of healing. You know, if we're never out there in the scary, we never realize how much we need rescuing. But really, we all deal with fear, doubt, shame, guilt, whatever. We all deal with it. But if it never comes to light because we're never in a position where we have to face it, then we'll stay under that bondage forever. But I think what happened when Peter was walking back to that boat is I think there was a conversation that happened. That Jesus like, okay, let me talk to you about this little faith that I just said. What's going on here? What's keeping you from believing in me? What's keeping you when you saw me feed the 5,000 and when you were laying hands on the sick and you were casting out demons? Like, why did that not spark enough faith in you to continue walking on the water? Because he did walk on it. But then he took his eyes off of Jesus and he started to sink. And he's like, let's have this conversation about what's going on in your heart. The doubt that is bringing you there, that you think you are not enough, or the fear that I'm not going to be enough for you. Whatever it is, let's have this conversation. And I think there was an undocumented, beautiful conversation that happened between Peter and Jesus as they walked back to the boat. During my growing up years, we didn't have a lot of money. I know I've told this story before, but during that time, it, it bound me in fear that I was going to live in poverty. So a lot of my planning that I told you about was a plan to have a life that was free from pain. That was really my plan. I was going to work for myself because I was going to have the ability to make as enough money as I needed to not live in poverty. And so there was this fear that gripped me. I worked a lot. I saved everything. Like if it wasn't a need, then we did not buy it. And by need, if your underwear weren't falling apart, you didn't need any new ones. If the socks didn't have holes in it, like big ones, then you really didn't need it. And so poor Matt, when he married me, there was this wrestling of like what was a need and what was not because he did not live the same way I did. And there was a lot more needs that he had than what I did. But there was no way if I wasn't set free from that, that we would have bought the building because I would have bucked that every step of the way. But my being set free from that was coming to a place where God started to stir my heart about tithing. Because I gave, but I gave what I had left over. I didn't tithe. And tithing is 10% of the first fruits that come in. It's the first 10%. And God started to really deal with me in the area of tithing. And, and I would look and I'd be like, yeah, I can't this month. Oh, yeah, I can't this week. And God's like, okay, we're going to really deal with this. And so what I want you to do, and he spoke to me, and he said, I want you to give 15%. I was like, whoa, 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 God, like, I don't have 10% to give you. How am I going to give you 15%? I really want to, like, I, but if you'll just give me more money, then I can give you more money, then I can give you the 15%. And he's like, no, 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 I want you to give me the 15% now. And I want you to do it first before you look at your checkbook, before you pay anything else, before you figure out if you have it or if you don't, I want you to give me the 15% first. And when he did that, he took me through a long process with many fearful days and many times of worry that showed me that he was my provider, that he was my provider. There was never a bill that was late. I never starved, not once, 
There was never a payment that didn't get paid. There was never anything that I needed that I didn't have. But there were many times of me doing things, like he would open up opportunities to do surveys. Like I had a bunch of little kids and there was all these diaper surveys that just came along and they would pay me 250 bucks if I would just put on diapers and document it and turn it in. Like the provision that came in all sorts of ways that God showed me he is my provider. And that there is absolutely nothing that will keep him from providing for me if I will covenant with him and I will trust him. And through that, the fear of poverty was broken off of me. And so now I live today and I'm like, oh, it doesn't look like it's there. God's got it. Oh, there's a building to buy and we have no history and no one is going to lend us any money. Somehow God's got it. And he did. There was a a personal financial loan that came out from someone who said, I'll give you the money to be able to make the loan for that building. And do you know that building, I think it was like nine months later, that loan was paid off. That's our God. But we had to take the step of faith and step out into the call and the stirring that he had for us. We had to keep our eyes fixed on him when it didn't look like it, but we trusted that he was not only the author of what he was telling us, but he was the finisher of that thing. And if we would keep our eyes set on him, then he will make a way. I believe that when Peter walked back on that water, that there was so much that was being broken off of him. There was so much that God was rescuing him from and that he was realizing the things that bound him, that were holding him back, and God was setting him up for the next step in the ministry that he was being called to. He is our rescuer. If we continue reading on in verse 33, it says, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And that phrase, truly, you are the Son of God, means like we kind of thought you were before, but now we really think you are. There was something that was revealed through this two-day process that the people in the boat were going, wow, like we are seeing new revelation of who this person is. This person that we thought was teacher and this person that we maybe thought was, you know, this or that. Now we're seeing that he is truly the Son of God. In Mark 6, 51 and 52, it says, Then he went up to the, into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. God is always doing so much more, but I think my favorite thing that he does is that he reveals more of who he is through the process. That when we walk through the stirring and the calling and and the winds and the waves and keeping our eyes set on him and then even needing to be rescued, he's saying, let me show you more of who I am. Look at me and you'll see that there is more to me than what you already believe. Because Mark says their hearts were hardened and they had missed something huge in the feeding of the 5,000. What they had missed is they were thinking that this was an earthly king that was coming to do some earthly provisions. But Jesus is like, no, I am so much more than an earthly king. I am the one that is going to set you free, not from the Roman oppression, but from sin and death. I am not the one that's going to come and feed you with bread. I'm going to feed you with spiritual food so that you are strong for whatever the enemy throws at you. You will be strengthened. I am the bread of life. Jesus was telling them that all of their needs were going to be met in him. 
way above the physical and the limitations that the physical would provide, that he was bringing something better than physical provision. Now, Jesus had calmed the waves before in the audience of these disciples. Remember, he was asleep at the bottom of the boat, and they freaked out, and they called him up, and he rebuked the waves, and then it stilled. There were so many times the disciples had been in this place with Jesus, and they had missed something. And I kind of go back over my own life. How many times have I been in the presence of Jesus, and he's done something, and I've missed what he was really trying to do? How many times have I had to see him calm the waves before I realize he's going to calm the waves for me? But in that moment when you realize he's not just the provider, he is your provider. He's not just the one that rebukes the waves. He's the one that rebukes the waves for you. It changes something. And that's what Jesus was doing, especially in Peter, is that he was saying, no, I am the son of the living God. I am the Christ and provider for you, Peter. For you. I remember when I got that revelation that God really was my provider. And you would think it would be when like the the diaper studies came or all these other little things came. But that's not when I really realized that Jesus was my provider. Because somewhere in my head I still thought that was a little bit of me. You know, I was finding them and I was researching and I was looking for them. And even though it was all working out, I still thought that it was a little bit of me. But there was this first moment, and there were many others, where I looked and I balanced the checkbook. And I did it all the time because I had a fear, remember? And so I balanced the checkbook all the time and looked at the bank account every day. And it was like, no, that doesn't add up. No, that, that doesn't make sense. It actually shouldn't be there. But it is. And somehow it worked out. And God was telling me, no, 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 you are missing something. I am your provider all by myself. I don't need you to do the studies. I do provide them for you. I don't need you to work harder, although I do give you opportunity to. But I am actually your provider all by myself without your help. And it was in that moment that I was like, wow, God, wow. And it was like the fear of poverty was instantly broken off of me. And my level of trust in God taking care of me went way up. It went way up. He revealed to me something of himself that I was just missing so many other times because of the fear that was on me. We see a couple chapters later in Matthew 16 that Jesus asked the disciples who they think he is. And Peter says, Christ, son of the living God. There was no hesitation. There was no hesitation. Peter said, oh, I got this one. Like, I learned my lesson again and again and again, and finally, I got this one. He is the son of the living God. Because if you ask me, is Jesus your provider? Absolutely. If you come and you tell me that, you know, you're, you're wrestling with tithing, I'm going to say 100% you need to do it. Why? Because there was a revelation of something he did in me. I saw God do a mighty work in my life, and I can tell you confidently that he will do it for you. No hesitation, no doubt. I know a lot of you guys had the same story about him being your healer or him being your provider or him being, you know, what your comforter in the time of need. There are so many times in your life where you have a revelation of who God is that takes you to a whole nother place. I hope you share it. I hope you share it. Because there were people that spoke into my life during that time when I'm trying to step out into faith and I'm trying to, like, trust God in these moments. And they're like, no, he will. No, he will. Because God is a God that's always wanting to reveal more of who he is. 
to his children. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, and he is working towards the finished product of Christ-likeness in each of us. He is trying to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. God is always calling us upward. He's always calling us into a new level of faith. He's always calling us into a new level of influence. He's always calling us into a new level of ministry. But more importantly, he's calling us into a new level of intimacy with him. He's saying, I want to be close to you. I was willing to sacrifice my son for you so that you could be close to me. And more than anything, he wants you to see that he is the lover of your soul. So much so that in John 3:16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, there's no disclaimers there, whatever you did, whatever you've done, whatever your past is, that whosoever believes in him might be saved, might be saved. So as we close out today, I just want to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? When you hear a message like this, it's always important to stop at the end of it and say, God, what are you speaking to my heart? Maybe it's something in what I've said. Maybe it's something different because the Holy Spirit is a personal God and he will speak to you personally. And so I'm going to take a moment and ask you to just close your eyes and bow your heads, get quiet with God and let him speak to you and speak to your heart. Maybe he's speaking to you about your marriage or your parenting Maybe there's something he's stirred in your heart long ago. And he's saying, will you ask me to call you out? Will you say, Lord, if that's you, say come. But maybe he's saying, son or daughter, you, you've not actually accepted me yet. And I'm calling you into relationship. I'm calling you to say yes to me. I've been coming after your heart since the day you were born. I have a plan and purpose for your life. And I want to be the author and finisher of your faith. I want to rescue you from your fears and your doubts and the things that the enemy has weighed you down with. And I want to invite you into relationship with me.